0: Welcome to the Basta Podcast episode 228. I'm your host Emily Aries and today we have a very special and truly fantastic conversation for y'all with author Amanda Montell who wrote Word Slut: A Feminist Guide to Taking Back the English Language. I am So excited for you to hear from Amanda. She and I basically just geek out for the next half hour on linguistics and semantics and cognitive science and collectively constructing the human experience through sexism and racism. We touch upon it all. So if that's your jam, you're going to love today's show. If you're also the kind of person who's wondering if you should call a woman girl in a collegial way or if she-e-o and girl boss are as empowering as you feel they might be, Tune in for today's interview, I would recommend, because Amanda and I really unpack and peel back some of the layers of unconscious bias that informs some of those language choices. We try to do so in a diplomatic way, but she really, I mean, Amanda really brings such expertise to this conversation. I can't wait for you to hear from her. I also want to thank everyone who joined me last week on our crisis leadership training series for women leaders on the rise. We broke down exactly how to cultivate emotional intelligence so that you can really care for your people so they'll care for you in this time of crisis. If you missed it, get in touch with us. Maybe we can send you a recording of that. But if you are a leader on the rise, an emerging leader, someone who aspires to manage a team or currently is managing a team, you are going to want to check out Level Up, our new leadership accelerator kicking off June 1st. It's a six-month program. We've got price points that work for just about everybody, depending on how much of the program you want to take advantage of. It's going to feature me, myself, and a series of other talented, vetted, bossed-up feature trainers presenting monthly, engaging, interactive online trainings to cultivate leadership skills, assignments that come with those trainings to really push you to take your leadership to the next level, and for those who opt in to the, the offering, monthly accountability calls with a cohort of other women leaders on the rise as well. Learn more at bossedup.org slash level up. We are so excited about this program. We're going to cover everything from clarifying and communicating your leadership vision to delegating and people management and project management. Honestly, there's so much to jump into. I'm really, really excited for this new program, and I'd love to get your take on it. And space is limited. We are only offering this to 12 women at this time. So and we've already sold a few of those spots. So if you are really motivated to up your leadership skills right now, head to org slash level up before we fill up. All right, let's jump into today's great conversation with author Amanda Montel, who wrote Word Slut, A Feminist Guide to Taking Back the English Language. Amanda, welcome to the Bossed Up podcast. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. So I was I was telling you a little bit before we hit the record button here when I got your email and we we do here at the podcast, we get a lot of different pitches from folks. Immediately, I forwarded your excellent pitch on to the rest of our team. And Ellie on our team was like, oh, my gosh, she and I, we should all be friends. So welcome. <laughs> I don't know if you know it yet, but you're already part of the Boss Up Squad.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. That brings me such joy. I, I tend to think of myself as sort of your friendly neighborhood linguist. So I want people. <laughs> my whole my whole mission is to talk about sociolinguistics in a way that makes people feel like I'm just their best friend chatting about something nerdy. So I that
0: love it. Yeah. We're big nerds here, <laughs> and I, I studied cognitive science and political science back in the day myself. So I've always been fascinated by semantics. Let's back up before we jump into feminist linguistics here. How on earth yeah. did you get into this field of study?
1: Right. So I studied linguistics in college, but I was completely unaware of the field of study before I got to NYU. I grew up absolutely fascinated by language, enchanted by words. I received a thesaurus for my 10th birthday, and it was just the... (laughs) The gift of a lifetime. So I always loved foreign languages, dialects, accents, you know, learning accents and being able to use them as a little party trick. I loved, you know, even before I knew what sociolinguistics was, I loved thinking about the interaction between how someone talks and how they're perceived and how they move through the world. And then when I got to college and took my first linguistics 101 class, you can't imagine how delighted I was to find that there were, you no, not a ton, but several you know, worldwide, several thousand, at least, nerds who yeah. were just like me and love learning about the inner workings of language, everything from what your tongue is doing when you make an R sound to why Americans love British accents so much. And so I just found it such a magical field of study. But then the subject of, of sex, gender and language really lit a fire for me more than anything else, because mm-hmm. it felt so relevant to my life. And it just shone this light on all these pieces of language, all these ways that gender shows up in language that were before completely unconscious to me because so much of language is really implicit, right? Because we yes. grow up speaking it so organically. We literally start learning language straight out of the womb at six weeks. We're already experimenting with vowel sounds. Mm-hmm. So we never really we never really stop to think about why it works the way it does. And there are so many hidden gender stereotypes and biases hidden in our language everything from the way that we insult people to the way that we curse to yep. the way that we perceive female public figures voices to the way that we judge women for saying things like like and literally and using upspeak and vocal fry so i was just fascinated to learn about all this stuff and then when i graduated college and and decided i wanted to be a writer my Pie in the sky dream was to be able to write about linguistics for a general audience. Um, I didn't want to pursue a PhD and become an academic. That just like wasn't my vibe. But I really wanted to write about linguistics for a general audience, but kind of tucked that dream into my back pocket because it just didn't seem, you know, realistic or feasible. <laughs> well, like, um, what's
0: that career path look like? You know, yeah. sign me yeah. up for the linguistics impact, pop culture impact, please. Yeah. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah exactly. Totally. When I was like 20 years old, I told people I wanted to be a pop linguist. And they were like, that's cute. <laughs> I
2: was like,
0: okay, <laughs> never Like, mind. as if there is such a thing.
1: How silly. I know. And so then when I finally got signed to a literary agent and was sort of on my way to writing a book, I was just verklempt to find that she thought that this gender and language stuff that I liked to talk about so much would make the most compelling book. And I was like, really?
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, and and it sounds like it's going to make a very compelling piece of television as well. Is, am I reading that correctly? Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: So I published this book last year. It's called Word Slut, A Feminist Guide to Taking Back the English Language. And then I, I mean, silly me, I live in LA. I should have predicted, but you know, (laughs) apparently when you publish a book, Hollywood comes knocking. And even though the book is this nonfiction read, and it doesn't um, necessarily lend itself perfectly to a narrative story. I did come up with this TV show idea about a young language genius who's kind of damaged, but brilliant. You're just so casual about
0: that. I love it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that's really cool. So I'm like developing that. This is like a Hollywood piece of jargon. It's in development at FX, which is
0: cool. First of all, congratulations. I feel like the thank 10-year-old you. you receiving the thesaurus is living out her childhood dreams and having a big impact along the way. So oh I know every God. time we have bosses like you on the podcast, we love to peel back the layer a little bit because, you know, career creation is an iterative process for all of us. And it sounds like you're really you're really doing oh, it. Thank you. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about the content of Word Slut before we go even Absolutely. deeper because I know you have a lot of cool projects. In the works to me as you enumerated already language falls into a category of of unconscious social constructs that limit us without us even knowing it when it comes to gender right so can you give us a few examples of i immediately think of the spanish language my mom was born and raised in colombia so i grew up learning some spanish and ended up refining that in school but you know, in a lot of romance languages, everything is gendered. <laughs> there there's no Latinx yeah. really. There's Latino or Latina. And it's everywhere. So it's like in the water we swim in, so it's so hard to see. When did you first start seeing those interactions or intersections, I should say, between gender politics and language?
1: Yeah. I'm so glad you brought up that Spanish example. And I want to talk about it really quickly because I never get to, because people tend not to go there, but I have this whole chapter in my book on grammatical gender. And I think it's actually my favorite one. So yeah, in some languages, romance languages like French, Spanish, and Italian, there is grammatical gender where every noun is assigned of a masculine or feminine suffix. And we don't have that in English. Our only real gr- piece of grammatical gender shows up on our third singular pronouns, he and she. But in languages like spanish French and Italian, you'd think that these gender assignments for things like table and eyeball and things like that wouldn't inform our ideas about real human gender. But linguists have described a quote unquote leakage that occurs between grammatical gender and our notions of real life gender. And this can show up in places like it's really no coincidence and it's not lost on speakers that in many of these languages, so many names for prestigious job titles like doctor, surgeon, scientist, professor have a masculine suffix and other jobs like receptionist or babysitter receive a feminine suffix. And that ends up really informing speakers' views of those job positions. And in fact, in English, terms like surgeon and CEO are tacitly coded male, if not grammatically and explicitly um, assigned a male suffix. But an example, that I sometimes talk about is that in Italian, there are, are two words meaning secretary. There's the prestigious job title of like a secretary of state. And right. that word is segre, segretario. And it has an o suffix, a masculine o suffix. And then there's the you know lower paid job of a, a front desk person or receptionist. And that secretary is segretaria with an a, a suffix, a feminine a suffix. And so if a woman were to get a job in say a government office and were to start out at the front desk, she would be a segretaria with that a-feminine suffix. But let's say she climbed the the ranks and she moved up in that office and she became a a press secretary or even a secretary of state. The literal title of her job would have to go from feminine to masculine. And instead of being secretaria, now she would be secretario as she moves up in prestige. So that sort of thing, you know, you just grow up speaking language and using it that way. But over time, it really does unconsciously inform what you think about the job titles that men and women hold. And that, that's just one example of many.
0: And maybe it's just because you're in L.A. and I'm thinking L.A. style, too. But in the English language, I see a lot of prestige being correlated with the male version of actor. Like Mm -hmm. I'm an actor. A lot of women actors or actresses say I'm an actor as a way of sort of elevating that connotation compared to the feminine version of the word actress which just doesn't have that same gravitas. And so I wonder if you see women adopting male signatories in that way for for strategic reasons, or if that does damage to the word actress. <laughs> you know what I mean?
1: Oh, I don't even know where to begin because there are so many things I wanna talk about. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, some psycholinguistic studies have shown that in English, excessively girly suffixes like et and s possess these sort of actively negative or at least diminutive connotations. After all, et didn't start out as a feminine suffix, but as a way to refer to something of lesser value or something smaller like kitchenette or cigarette. Hmm. And in English, like we still have words like actress and waitress, but there used to be way more of these gendered nouns back in the day. We used to have neighboress, singeress, servantess, ah. spousess, friendess, farmeress. We even had doctoress. These were all real words in Middle English that have faded into obscurity. And I think maybe when professional actors want to be referred to as actor instead of actress, it's sort of similar to how comedians want to be referred to as comedians, not comedians. Right. Because I think. Yeah, because I think there used to be way more of these feminine suffixed words in English, and those are becoming fewer and fewer. But I think people do pick up on those sort of negative connotations because of the diminutive implications. And they would rather just, you know, actor at this point is definitely I would say used in a, in a gender neutral sense. Maybe I think of it that way because I was brought up using the word actor. Mm-hmm. And I think as a kid, I did a lot of community theater. I can't believe I'm admitting <laughs> that in public, but <laughs> we were all referred to as actors. And I think that was an example of language change and language evolution happening in real time. I wasn't mm. even really aware of the word actress and still I, until I started watching the Oscars, I would say, when there mm-hmm. was a best actor and a best actress category. And I was like, whoa, why are they separate? So maybe right. that goes back to your original question where when I was little and I would watch things like the Oscars. And there was this linguistic
0: division between men and women. Not to mention categorical division, craftsmanship, yeah, womanship. I can't even say craftsmanship on an, on an episode with you without <laughs> pause. Difficult. No, that is hard. right. Craftsmanship,
1: craftspersonship. It's true. But that's another great example of the way that you know, default maleness as built into our language and our, our ideology. And that's something that I talk about a ton. It's the idea that in our language, as in our culture, maleness is seen as the default, Mm. you know, and that's, that shows up in words like craftsman, salesman, Mm -hmm. chairman. And yeah, but I think when I, when I, the, the linguistic division of men and women and the conceptual, categorical, ideological division of men and women, they really go hand in hand. Because right. we come to learn about the world through language. And so if we come through the world learning more gender neutral words, like actor, as I did, then we get to see men and women and everyone in between on a more equal plane. But mm-hmm. when we start to have those divisions, and those divisions show up in way more places than just job titles yeah you know, they show up in the way we insult people too there's the b word that you would call a woman not, not witch, us, but no, something not, but that some sounds in like- between. yeah <laughs> somewhere in between um, yes the b word that rhymes with which you would you would call a woman when you dislike her behavior you think she's being unpleasant you would only really ever call a man that if he's acting, quote unquote, like a woman. Mm-hmm. And then we have other insults that we've reserved for men. Like it's a P word and it's not fussy. And it <laughs> doesn't sound quite like
0: that either. I but think we, we also can have put it together though. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We also have words like wimp and sissy, but linguists have overall found that there are far more gendered insults to describe women or reference femininity than there are for men. So yeah, mm. these, these language biases show up everywhere. And that's depressing. But like, we can also work as individual speakers to use language the way that we want to once we have the empirical information about it, right, and we can work to, that to take it back.
0: Yeah. And that I think is the very uplifting element of your book, which is language is power, right? And from a cognitive science perspective, I, I want to highlight the fact that, you know, language shapes reality and how it shapes our unconscious perception of reality. Right. There yeah. are no categories in the world until you are perceiving categories in the world as it relates to gender, sex, or whatever it might be, good and bad. Those normative values are are assigned through language and they collectively exist in our consciousness. So yeah. you're right in that they're collective constructions that we have a role in, in building. Before we get into the empowering language, though, I am dying to get your take on girl boss, the term girl boss (laughs) and CEO. To be clear, I have had a strident public take on this since the very beginning of starting Bossed Up by saying there will be no girl bosses here. There will just be bosses here. And we're not talking about lady boss. And I think I get a little bit of pushback from the divine feminine people who want to embrace our femininity. And I'm just totally curious what your take is on Girlboss and She-E-O and, and Fempreneurs and all those sort of feminized versions of powerful titles that we've seen in the past.
1: Yeah, well let me phrase this in a in a way that is going to make everyone feel seen. So, not so n- not that long ago, I I posted this little fun fact on my social media that in the Italian language, there are two words for female elephant and male elephant. There's elefante and then there's elefantesa, which means girl elephant. And half of the comments I received found that this seemed like totally weird and gratuitous. Like, why do we need Elefantessa? But then there were also tons of women who were like, (laughs) Yes, S that is enchantingly feminine and not belittling at all. So our relationship to words is is really individual. But I have to admit that I am in your camp and I do not myself enjoy the word girl boss or use it. (laughs) That's not to drag the book or publication girl boss. And like I said, you know, this isn't an effort to put a moratorium on any given word. You know, people are free to use language however they like, but it's just an invitation to consider a new idea. So like we have words like man bun, man bag, guy liner, right? And these are sort of masculinized versions of ideas that are considered to be sort of like frivolous and girly, like buns and bags and
0: eyeliner. And Yeah, are they not diminutive in nature? Like, I feel like diminutive is the right word for that. So the... Ideas of a bun and a bag and
1: eyeliner are not inherently diminutive, but when we give them these masculine prefixes, and sure, they're kind of cheeky, but even so, when we call a guy with a bun, when we say he has a man bun, or when a guy can't carry a freaking bag without it being a man bag, yeah. it really imp- it implies that these things—buns, bags, and eyeliner—which are not inherently feminine, not even eyeliner—and I used to be a beauty editor, so I can talk about the history of men and makeup. <laughs> that, that's another concept. But you know what? What they do is they accentuate the idea that objects often thought to be frivolous, like makeup and purses, are for women, and that if men are expected to participate, they have to be rebranded in a macho way. And words like mompreneur and CEO and girl boss, unfortunately. Unfortunately, they do something similar. They illuminate this notion that words like entrepreneur and CEO, though not actually gendered, right. are tacitly coded male. You know, they don't have those gendered suffixes like in a language like Spanish or Italian. But yeah. when we say things like girl boss and CEO, they do imply that these words are not actually gender neutral, and they suggest that when a woman endeavors in business, we can't help but to to cutesify her title and so even though girl boss might read to some as this like sparkling emblem of girl power and it certainly makes for a good hashtag in practice it it doesn't quite work to undo explicit sexism. It, it really reinforces it. Not to mm. mention, like, to your point about being diminutive, like, girl, that that's that's a child. Yeah, yes. I'm not a girl. And can you imagine calling a, a 60-year-old male boss somewhere a boy boss? That would be absurd. And so it's just sort of making those comparisons in your head. And <laughs> so that satisfied
0: be- that you're out there <laughs> telling this, by the way. I'm just like, yeah. I just like breathed a sigh of relief, like, ah, oh, all right, she's out there. Fighting the good fight against girl boss. <laughs> fighting the good fight.
1: I mean, I don't want to I don't want to make anyone feel silenced. And so if people genuinely, after they've paid it much thought, paid attention to the empirical studies and the whatnot, if they, even then they've decided, you know what, I'm a CEO, I'm like, girl, live, live your life.
0: I want to talk about girl to girl girling right? Uh Because there's uh a, there's a racial history of girlfriends. And I think as someone who named her company after a hip hop term and is not black myself, which is me, right? Bossed up. I have to check my own privilege on this as often as I possibly can. I don't do it enough, but like I listened to a lot of hip hop growing up and it has informed a lot of my language choices around how I talk about empowerment because in my perspective If you want to learn about owning your power in the face of systemic injustice, look no further than the African-American experience in this country. You're exactly right. However, this is problematic. I think there's so much room to offend and it's impossible. Like, I'm not perfect. Like It's impossible to walk this walk perfectly. But when we say girl to each other or when we co-opt language that originated from the trans community and sort of popularize it, what is the what is the power dynamic there like? And, and yeah. I wonder how your book talks about intersections of race and gender and language.
1: Yeah, that's a really, really important question. And my, my book talks about that a lot because you absolutely cannot have the gender and language discussion without having a huge amount of of time and attention paid to the strides that African-American vernacular English and African-American women and queer people in particular have paid to the movement. Just like so many of our culture's best fashion trends and music, music spoke about hip-hop, are lifted from communities of color. We get our best slang from communities of color. We have women in hip-hop to thank for the reclamation of slurs like, Ho, is that? Yeah. Or bad bitch. Like, yeah. Bad bitch. Like Trina, Rihanna, you know, these are the people who gave us this vernacular. And of course, like we have modern, quote unquote modern, we have Contemporarily popular slang terms like yas and read and throwing shade and right. work and yes. iconic. And these terms come from ballroom culture, which was a community of mostly black and Latinx queer drag performers whose heyday was in 1980s ballroom New York. And for them, language was not just like this fun, catchy thing that now you and I, as white folks of privilege, get to say on this podcast and feel very safe. You know, for them, it was a means of solidarity and survival. Mm. It was a secret. It was a code that they could use to identify who was an ally, who could be mm. trusted, who was on the inside of their group, and and who couldn't be trusted. And mm-hmm. so. When we lift and co-opt, as you said, so much of this language, which you're absolutely right, derives from communities of color. I spoke to an amazing linguist named Sonia Lanehart, who studies African American vernacular English and gender at the University of Texas at Austin. And she generously said that we can use this language. There's no one telling us we can't. And if it's in the if it's in the zeitgeist, we're at liberty to use it. But meanwhile, we need to give credit where credit do right and we need to choose our words and our and our politics frankly wisely and support these communities and yeah just to support them
0: at every turn right if you're inspired yeah. you better be doing something to make better right i, I guess that's, that's right of, it's not just like including the footnotes it's like being a an anti-racist as opposed to being not racist
1: yeah. No, that's absolutely right. Like, if, if we are going to use the products of these marginalized communities, then we need to be there for them at every turn. How could you go to sleep at night having spent your day using words like bossed up and girl and "yass" and read and shade if you also don't show up for those communities? Because yeah. for them, as I mentioned, this language was not there just to be fun and catchy it was there as a means of survival and power
0: that's a really good point and i feel called in to do more quite frankly
1: Uh, i love that phrase called in oh my god i (laughs) i volunteer at this crisis lifeline for lgbt youth and Mm. i learned in training there the phrase called in instead of called out because it's so inclusive and so positive
0: I feel like we're all trying to be better. I mean, if not all of us, but for those of us who are trying to be better, getting called out and called in is also just part of it.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Nobody, nobody yeah. is going to right, like you said, like toe this line flawlessly. And-, and
0: also we have to do our own homework as white people or as allies in the feminist quest for gender equality. And part of doing your homework, right, educating yourself includes reading up on what unconscious bias looks like in language, in addition to our everyday actions.
1: Absolutely. And how we can
0: disentangle ourselves from systems of oppression we might not even be aware that we are complicit in, right?
1: Completely, completely. You're speaking the truth.
0: (laughs) I could obviously talk to you forever. We're officially friends now. Come hang out in Denver anytime. (laughs) Yay! Last real question for you here. I want to choose carefully because I have like seven other questions I I probably could ask you, but what does it take to take that first step and to be more conscientious of how we are collectively constructing language as it relates to to gender, race, and equality?
1: Yeah, I think it's just the awareness. Like we've been saying, these biases are so unconscious and so natural to us that we don't even think about them. It's not like we all grow up knowing that the word be rhymes with witch has this incredibly colorful storied history and is actually working in a really profound way to reflect and reinforce misogyny. It's that we just grow up throwing it around left and right, even me. So I think it's just Reading books like word sled, I just have to throw that out there. But you know um, but Yeah. <laughs> there are popular media articles written online about language, about things like vocal fry and upspeak and like and how these are actually signs of linguistic innovation and savvy rather than ditziness and insecurity right. and inferiority, you know. Just just paying attention. And and here's the other thing I'll say is that when we hear language used in a new way. What we can do is think like a linguist and approach it with curiosity and open-mindedness wanting to know why language is evolving in that way and if it's a type of language that we indeed might be using in 20 years instead of acting like a pedant and a curmudgeon and saying oh language shouldn't be used that way that's incorrect because language is a breathing beautiful constantly evolving moving thing it isn't just this stagnant stable force that must always follow rules from on high, you know, these like, you know, 60
0: year old white grammarians. Are you popular with British people then? I was going to (laughs) say, I feel like studying in London, I got quite a few lectures about my bastardization of the English language.
1: Oh, yeah. People love to say bastardization of the English language. People love to say a massacring of the English language. I love these words just phonetically, by the way. Right. I have another podcast (laughs) full of defenses for that. But I think it's also, Europe has a really, really long history of grammarians doing their stodgiest work to keep language in place. I mean, even today... France has l'Académie Française, that literal Mm -hmm. grammar police, like a coalition of something like, it's like 30 white dudes, most of whom are named Jean, by the way, who (laughs) attempt to, you know, police language and keep French all neat and tidy. By the way, I just saw an article this morning when I woke up that COVID-19 has officially been deemed by l'Académie Française to be feminine in gender. Oh, great. (laughs) Corona. Of
0: I, noted. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, my name is very French. You might notice Emily Arrier. my dad's whole side of the family is from France and I'm named after my grandfather, Emile. So I love the two languages of Spanish and French, but my God, are they, uh, very into preserving their culture in terms Indeed. of static language policing.
1: And you know what? The French, like, people across the world have made really interesting strides in trying to make um, languages with grammatical gender more gender neutral. I remember, you know, there is this one Hebrew-speaking summer camp in Maryland, and Hebrew is a gendered language, where campers are encouraged to invent their own gender neutral language and use them in the context of the camp. And because they're kids and they're learning new language every day, that feels really exciting to them as opposed to scary. You know,
0: I love it. I think we should all take a page from that.
1: I know. Like, why shouldn't language be fun and creative? Obviously, like there is a time and place for abiding by the AP style book. But at the same time, language is living and breathing. So we should embrace that.
0: And who among us hasn't invented a language with a best friend when you're a little kid? Exactly. Let's return to that. (laughs) Let's return to that. I, I think it's a good call to arms. Did you read your own book for the audiobook version, Amanda? I did. Awesome! Yeah. I just downloaded it on uh, on Audible because I w- I really want to hear your take on vocal fry. I talk about a lot about vocal fry in a big chapter in my book on assertive communication, around sort of power and gender in the workplace, mm-hmm. and I always try to give that disclaimer before I give advice about how to negotiate powerfully and how to have tough conversations effectively by saying, no one should have to do this, but. Here's how we can take a page from code switching and use it to our advantage in a way that serves you and your goals. I'm one of those people who actively gives women advice about catering to a very biased ear that we're all sort of sometimes it's necessary I mean
1: absolutely we've all had to accommodate to a standard that we didn't agree with right oh my god I remember once when I was working as a beauty editor at that digital magazine we had a we had a couple of media trainers come in to sort of like teach us how to comport ourselves in like video interviews on Facebook live and stuff like that but I remember like a colleague and I who was also a woman in her early 20s and I we were invited to just like engage in like a natural spontaneous conversation and these media trainers were going to sort of just like judge how we seemed. And I remember I just, I just got like laid into for saying like, 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 like too much. But then the media trainer was like, that said, you came across as incredibly likable, like very likable. (laughs) And I just had to like chuckle to myself because I know as someone who's studied linguistics and written about linguistics, and this was before my book was out, that Language lacking in likes and you knows can come across as inauthentic, too robotic, not likable, which that's a problematic term when describing women in and of itself. But I was just thinking, like, if I had tried to stifle my natural speech, I would not have come across as likable. I would have come across as like stilted and phony. I took that advice laying down. I was like, of course, of course. And then I quit that job and now I'm my own
0: boss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. Way to go. Amanda, I have to end this interview because I could talk to you for like seven more hours. But I'm gonna <laughs> okay. I'm gonna listen to you read your book on Audible Next, which is very, very exciting to me. Word slut. It's coming out in paperback form after last year's exciting hardcover release. Tell us about where our listeners can learn more about that and you if they wanna follow up with you.
1: Yeah, you can find Word Slut wherever books are sold. Of course, I encourage you to shop indiebound and bookshop.org so you can support indie bookstores, but you can buy it wherever books are sold. Um, it's available now, coming out in paperback on June 2nd, but available in hardback now. And you can find me on Instagram at Amanda underscore Montel.
0: Awesome, Amanda. Keep doing what you're doing, woman. I am so into
1: this Likewise. field
0: and I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom with our audience today.
1: It's my delight and pleasure, truly.
0: If you want to learn more about what we covered in today's episode, head to bossup.org/episode episode 228 for today's show notes and a comprehensive list of resources we discussed. And now it's time for this week's boss move of the week. This week's boss move comes in from a frequent flyer on the podcast hotline, which I absolutely love, Jenny from Milwaukee, who's back with a new pandemic related boss move hi
2: I'm Jenny from Milwaukee I had initially called in a while ago with a career conundrum in episode 56 about mental health issues at work I then submitted a boss from saying that I was going to be presenting for a wellness topic this coming month for my employer so fast forward to the pandemic I ended up, actually pivoting and creating two presentations. The so one that we can do at a later date for maternal mental health, and the other one is specifically devoted to hotlines for everyone, our EAP resource, and tips for coping and how to keep you mentally healthy while everyone is either working remote for half of our staff or the other folks that are in production and shipping who are essential workers. So just wanted to share that move with the community. Thank you so much.
0: Jenny, thanks so much for being such a frequent flyer on the Bossed Up podcast hotline. I absolutely love it. I'm so proud of the progress that you've shared. And really, thank you for inspiring episode 56 on... um, when to discuss mental health accommodations with your employer. That was such an important episode. It's great to hear how you've pivoted your boss move to the reality we're all living through right now, this uncertain time that we're all in right now. Congratulations. It's good to hear from someone who's making progress, making the best of this very unfortunate situation. And it's encouraging to all of us, including myself, who have had some rough weeks here and just... Keeping in mind that despite the complete lack of control any one of us has around what's happening right now, we can still focus on retaining our sense of agency over that which we can control in our lives, in our careers, in our own minds, right? I'm doubling down on my meditation practice right now, which I don't even very much enjoy, but I have to say has been coming in handy and just keeping myself calm. And I almost said cool and collected, but that's a stretch. (laughs) But just keeping yourself focused in scary times, in fearful times. So thank you for the inspiration, Jenny. And thanks as always for listening. If you've got a boss move to share or you want to ask a career conundrum so that we can create an episode just for you, dial the Bossed Up podcast hotline now and leave me a message at 910-668-BOSS or two, six, seven, seven. Until next time, let's keep Boston in pursuit of our purpose. And together we will lift as we climb.